You've tuned into Omega Church. We are a people hungry to encounter God through worship and His Word, being witnesses to the world around us. We pray this teaching blesses you and trust God will reveal Himself to you in a new way today. And if you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or to find out more about Omega, head to our website or Facebook page through the links below. thing um, it is hard I am telling you it is hard even it will be hard for me to sustain your interest but I hope the Holy Spirit will uh, give you the inspiration and ears to hear and respond to the word um, it is not that easy give me a second thank you Jesus hallelujah <clears throat> so we, we most of the time when uh, we talk about Hosea People will only remember or know just that he was asked to marry a prostitute. And that's all many people remember about Hosea. But Hosea is, even though he's brought as a minor prophet, he has got a major message to give. And it is no less than what Isaiah wrote, no less than what Jeremiah wrote. It's very, very powerful. In, in fact, his ministry spanned just like Isaiah for a long period. 40, 50 years. So his life was a message and uh, he was a prophet of God. <clears throat> so first thing that you see in this book in chapter 4 is, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. Is that a good news? The Lord has a charge to bring against you. Is that a good news? No. So, what is the charge that God is wanting to bring against these people? <clears throat> the, there we see, um, basically, you know, the word charge here, what it is, is something like a lawsuit, like God is bringing you into his court. Many people, uh, the scholars particularly think that it is not connected with the law court just because there is no judge seen there and there is no op opponent or uh, no lawyers seen there. Only you see Yahweh and you see the people of God being charged. It could be like a, an argument. It could be like a quarrel, a house quarrel. God loves his people just like Jose was commanded to love um, um, a woman of bad reputation and to marry her and to have children. So he is contending with Israel who have gone away from him and he loves them to bits. But then he says, I got a charge I'm bringing against you. I want to have quarrel with you. I want to have argument with you. Why? Because you departed from me. Why? There are three things he mentions there. The, uh, the three things that he mentions there are uh, against you in the living that there is no faithfulness, no love, no knowledge of God in the land. Three things. No faithfulness, no love, no knowledge of God. I tell you, we understand what is, uh, whenever we see the word uh, faithfulness, you know the Hebrew word is hesed, this covenant love. It's unbroken, a covenant love. God always keeps it, honors it, and does everything to fulfill his part. It's, uh, most of the time it's one-sided. That's why he's bringing a charge. That you are not responding to my love. You are not responding to my covenant. You are not responding because I am committed to bless you guys. You are my people. I am your God. But you are not responding to me. That's his charge. And one of the things he says is, there is no knowledge of God in the land. 
people don't know. I mean, sometimes I, I myself wonder about many Christians, most of the Christians. If somebody asks you a simple question, tell me who is your God? How long will you last? How long can you talk about God? Some of the non-Christians say, hey, who is your God? How much can you talk about him? That's why we need the knowledge of God. It can't be done in 30 minutes. It's a lifetime of pursuit. Lifetime of pursuing God. Lifetime of longing after him for revelation. We sang the song, show me your glory. It's just one part of your hunger for God. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. As Moses has seen your glory, I want to see your glory. All those things begin with that hunger for God first. You cannot have knowledge of God without hunger for God. So this is a very, very important one. And this is important to both the priests and the people. So here he's talking about the people. There's no knowledge of God. And later he's going to charge his priests that they do not have the knowledge of God as well. So that is a very tragedy, a very sad thing, that when the priests don't know who their God is, how can they serve this God? So I want you to, a long time ago, three or four decades ago, I read a couple of books, and they are really good. One is A.W. Tozer writes, The Knowledge of the Holy. It will take you, even if you read one chapter a day, it will take you for, it will keep you engaged for at least two weeks or three weeks. Because it's very short chapters, two pages, three pages, doesn't write long ones. He talks about God's mercy, God's judgment, God's love, God's justice, God's mercy. Every attribute of God, every attribute, whatever is true about God is called an attribute. So he talks about the attributes of God. That is who God is. And I tell you, when you go into the philosophical level, when you go and talk to say, a Hindu man, and when you talk to a Muslim man, and when you want to talk to a Buddhist man, you must know who your God is. Otherwise, you will not be able to speak to them. Our God is very distinct God. The two words that describe our God is infinite and personal. He's an infinite God and a personal God. This combination in the philosophy, you will not find in any other part of any other religion. He's infinite in all his attributes, and he's a personal God, yet not limited to a human shape, but he's infinite in all his attributes. And I tell you, this is mind-blowing. I've been teaching that for many decades. Until now, now if you ask me, I would say add one more word to that to describe this God. He is a God who speaks. Tell your neighbor, he is a God who speaks to you. Without this point of self-revelation of God, you are not talking about the God of the Bible. You want to say who this God is, this God is a God who reveals himself. He says, "Who? this is who I am. He revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. He, he said, uh, take off your shoes because the, 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 ground, uh, the, uh, the ground on which you're standing is holy. You have to take off your shoes and they stand. And uh, looking at the burning bush, which was not burn, getting burnt at all. And then he hears the words from, and he ultimately asks, who are you? What do I say uh, when people ask me who sent me? I am who I am has sent you. 
So that knowledge of God has to come to us. The self-existing God. God who exists by himself. He doesn't depend on anyone. He has always been. He is the first, uh, first cause. He is the un un uncaused cause. The first cause. He is the mover or the great mover of everything. He is the one who speaks everything into existence. I tell you, you must be able to speak. No one should be able to stop when somebody asks, who is your God? You should be bubbling with the knowledge of God. Sadly, the church today doesn't know it's God. He is a triune God, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. And we should be not be stopping to talk about him. And we should be able to talk about the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ, great love of the Father, his plans before the foundation of the world, how he made it possible, how he's strengthening us, how he's empowering us by pouring out his spirit upon us, how he's authenticating his word, authenticating the gospel by signs, wonders, and miracles, how he's casting out, how demons can be cast out in his name. I tell you, there's nothing you can leave out when you begin to talk about God. He is the living one. My people lack knowledge of God. That's a charge. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And I will bring charges against your children's children. Now, our God, why does he want to bring charge? Is it because he wants to judge people? No. Because he loves us. And when we don't respond to him in the same way, that is when he says, I have a charge to bring against you. Which husband will be happy if the wife doesn't love him? Which wife will be happy if the husband doesn't love her? Which children will be happy when the parents don't love them? Or which parents will be happy when the children don't love them? I tell you, it's all about love. It's all about love. It's all about love. The charge comes not from judgment, but from love. In verse 2, he brings seven charges against them. Look at verse 2. There's only one, um, there's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Count them, seven charges. Five of them are from the Ten Commandments. He's not listing all the ten, but these five, they kind of see when you divide when you divide the commandments into two big big categories. One belongs to God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and do not have representation, don't do idolatry, all those kinds of things. But the next five are connected with the man, your neighbor. That's the reason why Jesus summarized into two categories. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So here, the second part is missing. So that's why he says, there's only cursing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery. Breaking of the commandments. I don't want to uh, go on to each one of them individually. But I want to focus on the next two. They break all bounds. They don't want boundaries. They don't want limitations. They want to enjoy life to its hilt. They want to enjoy life to its brim. They want, don't want to leave out anything. Entertainment, fun, pleasure. This is what? And without limitation. 
without bounds. And God says, that's not right for you. It's not good for your soul. It's not good for your soul. To live a life without bounds, not good for your soul. And then he says, bloodshed follows bloodshed. It is like a chain intertwined. You have got metal intertwined with one another, there's a chain forms. Bloodshed is intertwined with another bloodshed. That's intertwined with another bloodshed. It's like a chain. Is that a good thing? Can humanity survive when bloodshed intermingles with bloodshed? But I tell you what is happening today is exactly the same. There are people largely categorized, the whole world, the superpowers, everything you categorize. They want people to fight. They want to people fight and they want to finance and keep their factories profitable to make more ammunition, to make more modern lethal weapons. How do you get money? By saying, tell one guy who is keeping quiet, fight that guy. Oh, I have no strength, I have no ammunition. I will give you bullets, I will send you tanks, I will give you aeroplanes, I will give you everything, fighter jets. Don't worry. Why? When the fight begins, the demand for more, so production goes up. This is not a new, nothing new. Either side, it's the same. Either side, it's the same. The one who is aggressively pursuing violence, the one who is being receiving the violence, both are not victims. Both are being fueled by different parties, and everybody's interest is to boost their own economy. It's just one aspect of it. And to control people, to control people. So today you see war in uh, Russia and Ukraine, and you see war in, between Hamas and uh, uh, the Israel, Israel uh, and then you see the same thing happening. Uh, Hezbollah trying to raise its head against Israel, and then you've got PLO trying to fight uh, Hamas because their interests are threatened, even though they are from the same party. And then you've got uh, rockets being fired from uh, Houthi rebels from Yemen. I tell you, it is bloodshed following bloodshed. The word of Hosea is happening now, is happening now. So here we see seven different things. So God says, I'm going to judge. Because of all these sins, I'm going to judge the land. What kind of judgment is he talking about? Let's look at verse 3. Because of this, the land mourns. And all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds of the air, fish of the sea are dying. The extent of judgment is not limited to a locality. It's not a, a local problem, but it's a universal problem. It extends the whole world. It is going to touch the birds that are flying in the air and the, sea, the creatures that are in the sea and everything that is crawling on the ground. It is going to be devastating and going to affect the whole world. That is the judgment of God. When we don't love God and we don't love the neighbor, that's the judgment of God that comes upon the human race. So, verse 4 onwards it says, But let no man bring a charge, let no man accuse another, for your people are like those who bring charges against a priest. Now, this is a very difficult one to understand. What does it mean you are like a man who brings a charge against a priest? Priest is supposed to stand between God and man. 
And he should represent God to people, and he should represent people to God. That is the job of a priest. And when he fails in this duty as a priest, the local person who is supposed to be coming there to receive, look up to him for revelation, to look up to him for guidance, to look up to him for advice, begins to fight with the priest, then the religion breaks down. It religion breaks down. And I tell you, probably Hosea must be having some kind of a thought in his mind when Aaron was being the high priest and people wanted to ch challenge his priesthood. When they came challenging the priesthood, what did Moses do? He fell face down on God, before God and said, God, what shall I do when the people are rebelling against it, against the priesthood? God says, ask every tribal leader to bring a piece of wood, a dry branch. And when they brought it, he said, write their names upon it. He, they, everybody wrote their name. And Aaron's staff also, he wrote the name Aaron. And he took all the 12 tribes, 12 sticks, and put them in the before the Ark of God overnight. And in the morning when Moses goes back and looks at the Ark of God, what happens? Aaron's branch, which was dry, has leaves on it, flowers on it, buds on it, and almonds have full-grown almonds are found on it. When I'm telling you these things, my body has become very hot. I tell you, because we need that authentication by God about the priesthood. We need God to authenticate his people, his prophet, his priest should be authenticated by God. If that is not there, I tell you, that priest will be challenged. And here, the priesthood is being challenged by the people in verse 4. Let no man bring a charge. Let no man accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charge against a priest. When that is breaking down, the religion is breaking down. Basically, religion is breaking down. He says, you shall stumble during the day and night. And the prophet will stumble with you at night. It's a, it's a very sad situation. When the priest is stumbling during the night, uh, during the day, it's more serious business. If he stumbles at night, it's natural. Why? There's no light. Those days, they didn't have electricity, no uh, lights on the street, and no roads, proper roads to walk. And if you've got a ditch, and you're walking in the night, and you put your foot, and you go stumbling down, you stumble and fall down. Natural. But if you stumble during the day, when the sun is shining, and you're walking, and going put your foot into the ditch, and you fall down, everybody looks at you and laughs. Why? You are supposed to look at the ditch and not walk into it, but walk over it. Sidestep. Avoid it. But the priests are stumbling during the day. It is a shame on their calling. And we ought to be people who have got vision. Not stumble during the day. That's why he says, so I will destroy your mother. What, who, is, who is he talking about? Is he talking about an individual mother? No. Here the mother stands for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. Because you do not have, because you do not have, sorry, what happened? Something else. Yeah. You stumble day and night and the prophet stumble with you. I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. If you have a Bible, underline it. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 
How does knowledge come? How does knowledge come? It comes by reading the Bible. It comes by reading the Word. It comes by listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit as you read the Bible. And when that revelation comes, you will be on fire. And when we do not have the relationship with the Word, when the Holy Spirit doesn't teach you the Word, it becomes a dead religion. That's why, you know, we say, you need to read the Word and must be able to hear the voice of God when you, when you read the Bible. It is not supposed to be just analyzed. It is not like reading Shakespeare or Milton. You, you, don't, uh, you don't try to see the meter and the prose and uh, you know, all those kinds of things. It's just not an intellectual exercise. It is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication. Otherwise, the letter kills and only the spirit gives life. And that will happen <coughs> when your heart is engaged with the word of God. When you engage the Bible, with the Bible, with your heart, it will speak to you. Someone said, when you read Bible, Bible reads you. When you read the Bible, Bible reads you. And if that is not happening, it is religion. It is religion. <coughs> so my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge because they don't know God. They don't know God. They don't know God. And they have rejected knowledge. Because they have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priest, says the Lord. When the priest is trying to live apart from the word of God, apart from revelation, then God says, I will reject you as my priest. So how many of the pastors today will be rejected by God? Sometimes, Preaching has been reduced to telling, I don't know whether you are familiar with this uh, English uh, uh, phrase, cock and bull stories. <laughs> I was trying to research, <laughs> I was trying to research that phrase, uh, what is this cock and bull stories, you know, it all originated in England, they say. Uh, there were two, uh, basically, uh, bars, one is a cock, another is a bull, or whatever is the name of the thing. and. Uh, but the thing I'm trying to say is that when somebody talks incoherent and useless stuff, long time ago I went to one church, and um, this is a new, new people's evening. So I went uh, as a newcomer, I said, okay, let me see what happens there. I went there. And she talked about going, uh, going for a walk on a holiday, and she slipped and broke her ankle. All the story went on and on for one hour. I have, why do I need to hear that you broke your ankle? And that's for one hour. So that's what is cock and bull stories. Irrelevant stuff. Irrelevant stuff. Priests are preaching things not relevant to the people. And God says, I will reject those priests. Because they don't like to have knowledge of God. We have one business. It is to talk about God. It is one business to introduce God to people. It is one business introducing people to God. When we are going into prayer in the privacy of our home, in the home, and we are crying out to God on behalf of the people, that is the job of a priest. And when they fail to do it, God says, I will reject my priests. Because you ignore the law of your God. I also will ignore your children. See, the thing is now, it is just like a cycle. It doesn't stop with one man. When God rejects the man, he says, I will reject your children. 
Where is the hope for next generation? So the hope for the next generation comes with your responsibility of the present generation. When you as a husband and a wife, as a husband, father and a mother, are standing before God, that blessing will come upon your children. If God says, I will judge your children, he also says, I will bless your children when you are in the right relationship. So if you want your children to be blessed, don't think about what I can do for them. What you can do for them is very, very insignificant. But what you can do for yourself standing in right relationship with God. When you are in right relationship with God, the children will be blessed automatically. No one can stop them from receiving blessing. And then the priests are the kind of people who they are. The more the priests increase, the more they sin against me. They exchange their glory for something disgraceful. Now, these words are similar to the words Paul used in Romans chapter 1. They exchange the glory of God. Immortal God, they change with uh, mortal uh, animals and birds and creeping things. They made uh, images in the, in the form of the things that are crawling on the ground, flying in the air, and they said these are gods. That is exactly what Paul borrowed from Hosea. And from Hosea, he's borrowing this concept. I tell you the whole chapter when you read, it just comes down to Pauline's theology of Romans chapter 1. When you deviate from the true knowledge of God, your worship will be corrupted. When your worship is corrupted, your morals are corrupted. When your morals are corrupted, you are judged and you, you go beyond hope. You go beyond hope. This is what you see in Romans chapter 1. Go home and read again. First thing, they refuse to acknowledge God. Even though things are visible, uh, God's power and deity are seen by the things that are created. They refuse to acknowledge God. And then what happens? God gave them over to a base mind. A mind that is base. What does the word base mean? In metallurgy, when you are trying to purify a metal, you put those ore and then put fire under it. When it becomes, when it melts, all the useless stuff floats on the top. And you remove it. So the pure metal will be left behind. That is base, rejected, useless stuff. And when you reject God, your mind becomes base, useless, futile. And when that happens, your lifestyle becomes futile. You compromise with sin. You love sin. You will be like, um, uh, we will be like a pig that is enjoying the miry clay. You can give it a nice bath, put on a nice clothes, put on a nice nose ring. But if you, find, you see a mud pool of mud there, the moment you leave it, it runs into it. Our nature will be like that. And Hosea is exactly saying the same kind of things in this chapter 4. And they feed on the sins of my people and release their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. So now the whole batch has become wicked. People don't have knowledge of God. And people are rejecting the knowledge of God. Priests don't want to keep knowledge of God. They do not want to have knowledge of God. They don't want to feed on the word of God. They don't want to their responsibility. So people and priests, they become, they look alike. Like people, like priests. Why? In those days, when they came to offer fellowship offerings, or peace offerings, those kind of things, when they come to celebrate before the Lord, they will be cooking food on the pot. And the priest will come put fork into it. Whatever the fork brought out, that belongs to the priest. And you see this kind of story happening in Eli's life. His sons used to come 
and look into the pot and look at the best pieces and put the fork into it. Wrong. They're supposed to put the fork into it and pull out whatever the fork brought that belongs to the priest. But instead they were looking into the pot and putting the fork into the best of the pieces. Is not food given to the priest? Given. But they are not supposed to choose. They're supposed to take what comes. And that is what here he's condemning. The people also were conniving with the priest. When the priest appears, they'll say, come, 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 look in. Look for the best part and take that piece. No, that, that piece, don't take that one. They partake in the sin of the people. They partake in the sin of the people. That's the end when they become like people, like priests. In India, it is very common. When you have a bishop come to your home, you've got to give him a full chicken. Otherwise, he will not be happy with you. He won't even talk to you. So, that is what it is. Conniving. That is what it is. Like people, like priests. How religion degenerates. It just degenerates. Comes down to eating and drinking. And God judges such kind of behavior. They feed on the sins of my people. Release their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways. And repay them for their deeds. He will not leave the people, nor the priest. He will judge both. I don't know how much time I have. 11 o'clock. So please carry on studying chapter 4. And you have many things there to talk about. Verses 7 to 10. Like people, like priests. Priests are denounced and rejected. Their lifestyle opposed to God. Verses 11 to 13. We find a great theme of Paul in Romans chapter 1. Described by Hosea. Wrong worship leads to wrong morals. And wrong, wrong morals lead to sexual immorality, leads to adultery, idolatry, being judged by God. Intellectual knowledge must be supported by zeal for God. Passion to love God, worship God, and obey God. Otherwise, religion degrades to immorality. And I tell you, when you look at big, big organizations, I don't want to name them. When you look at the bigger, biggest of the ministry organizations, when they fall, they fall in the area of morality. They fall in the area of finances. And I tell you, so many times I have prayed to God, God, deliver me from those sins. Keep my heart pure. Let not, let not my heart go after money and let not my heart go after anything that is going to be to please myself. I cry out to God. So many times I cry out to God. Verse 14, God is impartial. Everybody say God is impartial. Now what was happening in the religion there? They were going to Baal worship. And Baal worship is a wooden statue. And then they go there and worship the statue. And they used to have, they used to have certain people who are dedicated for sex in the temple of Baal. Any man who wanted to have sex can go and approach the lady and have sex. Why? That was part of the worship. If they wanted to, if they wanted to have fertility, they wanted to have children, they used to go there. And if they want to have good, good crops, 
they used to go and indulge in it and until the religion was more attractive not because they wanted to worship a piece of wood because of the sex that was available and when they went to worship there what was happening the women used to go to ball worship and they used to do the same thing the other women were doing there so god says i will not punish the women anymore because men are the ones who are responsible to do this kind of things i don't want to talk too much about it you read for yourself <laughs> it is there it's, it's all there and then the lord says in verse 15 though you commit adultery o israel let not judah become guilty now here what is he talking about it's not only physical adultery it's also spiritual adultery when we move away from the living god and worship idols we are committing adultery so that's what is referring here the northern israel and southern judah northern israel has was committing adultery in the sense they went after baals ashtarets and so many other gods and um, they had a golden calf at uh, some place and they were worshiping and stopped coming to jerusalem to worship god and then the lord says do not go to gilgal do not go to bethaven these are the centers of idolatry gilgal and bethaven but there is no place called bethaven no physical place called bethaven so what is the prophet trying to say bethel stands for the house of god and bethaven house of wickedness so because they are supposed to be going to bethel but they are going to house of wickedness bethaven so they even though there is no such place there is no town by name bethaven prophet says don't go to bethaven house of wickedness basically he was condemning their religion and do not swear as surely as the lord lives and that is again breaking one of the commandments now important thing here is verse 4 verse 16 the israelites are stubborn like a stubborn heifer you know this is a if you are a farmer you will know it some cows and some they are rebellious they don't submit they would like to run around all over the paddock how do you control them how do you control them what i have seen in india i will tell you i don't know how what the new zealand farmers do i don't know i have not seen it but in india if you got a calf and that is just running around it is uncontrollable they used to tie a big piece of wood solid piece of wood they tie to its neck it will be hanging between its feet so it will be dragging on the ground and as the calf is trying to run it will hit his legs and it will not be able to run at all <laughs> i have not seen it here but i know this this is this is very common scene i have seen in india i have seen it so what is he trying to say israelites are stubborn like a stubborn heifer how then can the lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow lambs are very dependent on the shepherd he guides them he takes them to the green pastures he takes them to cool waters but if they behave like stubborn heifers how is he going how god is going to tend them like sheep not possible not possible there has to be willingness there has to be submission there has to be love there has to be honor of god fear of god that is when he says i am your shepherd you are my sheep otherwise our behavior will be like stubborn heifer If I may join to idols, leave him alone. Even when their drinks are gone, they continue their prostitution. The rulers dearly love shameful ways. If I am is joined to 
idols. Ephraim is one of the tribes, largest tribes. So most of the time when the, when the, when the prophets use the word Ephraim, they're actually talking about the whole northern kingdom, ten tribes. The whole of northern Israel is called Ephraim. And now what is he saying? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. So what is he trying to say here is, let the southern Judah not join the northern Israel. Let Judah continue to have a fear of Yahweh. Let, the, uh, let them continue to have sacrifices. Let them continue to worship God. Let them not follow the northern Israel. So most of the time what happens here is, among the churches as well, we follow some of the church sometimes. There was one king who went to uh, Damascus in the Old Testament. When he went there, he saw the king of Damascus offer sacrifices. He looked at that uh, altar and he sent a drawing made out of that for that and sent it to Israel. And before the king came, the priest got an altar ready just like the king saw in Damascus. We should not be following sinful ways of any other church. If they are doing sin, we are not to follow them. We are not to follow them. We must be like the priests who fear God, who treasure the knowledge of God, who study the word of God, who fear the name of God, who revere him, who worship him, who obey him. We ought to be like it, like them, so that we can avoid the judgment of God. We have to avoid the judgment of God. And we are in the end times. The end times are upon us. That calls for more holiness, more worshiping God, more of waiting on God, more of hearing his voice. And I tell you, if you do these things, you don't need to worry about the missile that is going to land next to your house anytime in the future. You don't need to worry about it. All that you need to worry about is your relationship with God. Israel has to do it. Hamas has to do it. Hezbollah has to do it. Iran has to do it. Every nation has to do it. They have to seek God. Then there will be peace. But it's not going to happen. Because there are people who want to promote it. But as far as the church is concerned, let not church lose its calling to be a priest. Church is supposed to be a priest, representing God to people and people to God. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Reshaka Barana Sandro. Rahareni Masandaranu. Sabarastro. Sekire Shekire Sara Rakabahastokoroni. Rahamara Sandastokoroni. The Lord says, He whose heart is hungry, I will send light into his spirit. I will send light into his mind. I will enlighten his mind. Roko Shakte Sandra Sastro. Baharano. Raka Shektere. Samarano. Rabahana Sastokoroni. Shabarasokorono. Rabasanda Sastokoroni. I will give knowledge of the holy to him who is hungry. I will satisfy him with good things. Knowledge of my own being. My glory I will reveal. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We bless your name. Because you are such a good God. And you are a God who wants to reveal yourself. We praise you. We praise you. We praise you. Help us, Lord, not to lose our calling. Help us, Lord, that we may not compromise. Help us, Lord, that we may be faithful to you. Help us, Lord, that we may love you, worship you, honor you, and obey you all the days of our life. Help us, Lord, that we may represent you to the people around us, to the glory of your name. In these end times, strengthen us with your Holy Spirit. 
Spirit of God, come with power, with great power upon the children right now and stir their heart, stir their mind, stir their soul, stir their bodies. And I pray, touch our God Father, put fire in us, fire, 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 to the glory of the name of the Father and the Son. We worship you, we praise you. Thank you for your word again in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us at Omega. If you need prayer for healing or breakthrough, or simply to find out more, please head to our website or Facebook page in the links below.